Hi, this is Jerry Britt, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and this is Sunday, September 4th, and it's our Sunday sermon. I'm so excited to be able to share this with you. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Welcome to part three of our sermon series, God Goes to War. Today's sermon is called Take Heart, God is on the Throne, and we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. Let's get ready to dive in, but before we do, Join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we continue this amazing journey, teach us and reassure us today what it means to hear that statement, take heart that you are on the throne. Teach us from Revelation 5 all the truths that are necessary that we know. Help us to understand you and draw close to you more. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. A preacher was showing a child a painting of Jesus, trying to explain that he really didn't know what Jesus looked like. He said, it's not really Jesus, it's just an artist's conception of him. The child looked long and hard at the picture and said, well, it sure looks like him. Most of us have a picture in our minds of what Jesus looks like, but usually we would never think of Jesus looking like what John describes in Revelation 5. Now at the beginning of this chapter, John is weeping. Let's find out why. Open your Bible or Bible apps to Revelation 5 and let's begin. Revelation 5, starting with verse 1. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals of this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the twenty-four elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, who has won the victory, he is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, I can get into Jesus being the Lion of Judah, can't you? Lions are regal, they're powerful and majestic, they're just cool. But when John looks around, he doesn't see a lion, does he? What does John see? Verse 6 says, then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. Now imagine that. There's nothing normal about this picture. This is not how I would picture Jesus at all. So is this really how Jesus looks? Well, yes and no. You see, Revelation is a book of imagery. Most of what it tells us is not meant to be taken literally. I'll say that again. Most of this imagery in Revelation is not meant to be taken literally. Now, there are TV evangelists and teachers of Revelation who try to teach that practically everything in Revelation is literal. And if you were to suggest to them that some part of Revelation should be seen as a spiritual picture God was painting, those prophetic teachers would ridicule you and criticize you. I've actually heard them do it. But this is definitely not a literal snapshot of how Jesus actually would look in heaven. This is a spiritual portrait of who Jesus is. 
How many of you have ever been to a fair and seen one of those artists who make a drawing for you for about $5 or so? It's probably more today. But have you ever had a portrait done? Does it look exactly like you? No, it doesn't. It's called a caricature. Now, what the artist does is to take one of your physical characteristics, then magnify it. If you have bushy eyebrows, they are larger than life. If you have a strong chin, they give you a big chin. If you have a toothy smile, they give lots of teeth. And it's all in fun. And almost everybody takes it home and frames it and puts it on the wall someplace. Now, what we have here in Revelation 5 is a portrait of Christ where the artist is essentially making the truths about Jesus to be larger than life. Notice, he is the lamb that was slain. This is a repeated image of Christ throughout scripture. In John chapter 1, verse 29, we're told that John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Isaiah 53, 7, which goes into great detail describing the coming Messiah, we're told he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he would never say a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. And throughout Revelation, Jesus is repeatedly referred to as the Lamb. Here's a couple of references. Revelation 7.10, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Revelation 7.17, for the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. Revelation 12.11, and they, meaning Christians, have defeated him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. Revelation 19.7b, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. And Revelation 21:27 tells us, Nothing evil will be allowed to enter heaven, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the image that God wants to burn into our minds. When we see Jesus in heaven, he's not going to be a literal lamb. But there is the picture of who Jesus really is to us. He is the Lamb of God who took away our sins. Now, I can grasp that. But then you've got this seven horns and seven eyes thing going on. That's hard for me to wrap my head around. So what's this imagery all about? Well, let's take this one step at a time. First of all, let's consider the horns. Most scholars will tell you that a horn in Scripture stands for power or authority. Several times in prophecy, a king and his power is symbolized by a horn. So these horns on the lamb symbolize the power and authority that Jesus has. Then there are the eyes. We're told in verse 6 that he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. Now, I'm going to be honest with you all. I don't have a clue what the seven spirits thing is all about or what it really means. And most of the commentaries I've read don't either. There just isn't a clear-cut explanation. But I do know what an eye does. Do you know what an eye does? Of course you do. It lets you see. And this lamb doesn't just have one or two. He has seven. That would symbolize the fact that Jesus can see a lot more than you and I can. And then there's the number seven itself. There are seven horns and seven eyes. Most scholars will tell you that seven is one of the numbers that's tied to who God is. Six is considered the number of man because he was created on the sixth day. But seven seems to be God's number because God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. Seven is also considered to be the number of completeness and perfection. So essentially, 
The seven horns and the seven eyes on the Lamb of God are meant to symbolize the divinity, the power, and omniscience, in other words, the state of knowing everything of Jesus. This Lamb is all about who Jesus is. He's the Lamb of God who was slain for our sins. He is God in the flesh. He is all-powerful. He is all-seeing. He is all-knowing. But it doesn't stop there. This picture of Jesus tells us that he is worthy of our worship and praise. Look at verse 8. We're told, And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. And then in verses 9 to 13, they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne of the living beings and the elders. They sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. They sang, Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Think about it, folks. Men and angels and creatures of every kind are singing and shouting praises to the Lamb of God. Everywhere you look, there's worship and rejoicing of Jesus. He is worthy of our praise. Can you say that with me? He is worthy of our praise. Amen? Amen. Now, why is that important? Let me remind you of what I told you last week. Chapter 4 starts out with these words. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I'll show you what must happen after this. So Jesus tells John that he's going to show him what must happen after this. But the first thing we're shown is the throne room of God. It's a wonderful place of sights and sounds and power and praise. But then in chapter 5, we're shown a scroll that no one can open. And John weeps bitterly because he senses how critical it is to have this opened. Then in verse 5, an angel tells John not to weep because the Lion of Judah, that's Jesus, is worthy. But I thought that Jesus was going to show us what must happen after this. Why take us to the throne room and spend two chapters on this stuff? Why not focus on the important things that we really want to know about? Do you know why? Jesus did this because this is the important stuff. Revelation 5 focuses on Jesus because Jesus is the focus of Revelation. Can I say that to you again? This chapter, Revelation 5, that we're talking about today, it focuses on Jesus because that's what the entire book of Revelation focuses on. He is the pivot point of everything else that's going on here. The beast, the whore of Babylon, the mark of the beast, 666, all that stuff, all the minor characters and events in the story God is telling us. You see, Revelation is all about telling God's people there are rough times ahead. Satan isn't going to go down easy. When we get to chapter 12, we find Satan is intent on destroying God's people. But Satan can't get it done. And you know why? Because according to Revelation 12, 11, they have defeated him, meaning the Christians. The believers have defeated him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. They conquered Satan by what? The blood of the Lamb. Revelation, beloved, is all about Jesus. 
Later in Revelation, we find that there's a beast, there's a whore of Babylon, and there's all kinds of enemies and villains that will attempt to destroy God's church. This is an echo of what Jesus told his disciples in John 16, 33, which I talked about last week, which we've read several times. I have told you all this, that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But what is the rest of the verse? Do you remember what the rest of what Jesus said? He said, but take heart. Why? Because he says, I've overcome the world. That's essentially what Revelation is saying to every church in every age, in every nation. You will have trouble. There will be circumstances that will be too much for you. There will be forces in this world you will not be able to control. You will face persecution. You might spend some time in prison. You might even lose your possessions. You might even lose your life because you belong to Jesus. These are pictures in Revelation of Christians who become martyrs for the faith. God is not pulling any punches in painting this picture for us. But before God introduces us to the difficulties we'll face, he takes us into his throne room and he introduces us to the lamb who was slain for our sins. Why? Because Revelation is declaring, take heart. God is on the throne. Jesus has stepped up and all the forces of heaven are in play on our behalf. We are not on the losing side, even though there are going to be times when it will seem that way. The problem is, too many Christians think that Jesus came into their lives so they'd be assured of a good life where they'd have all their money and their 401ks and a beautiful family and a wonderful home and a great car. But it doesn't always work out that way. Revelation says that life may not always be easy and comfortable. In fact, Revelation's message is that it isn't about having an easy life. This is all about being part of something that's bigger than you are. You see, folks, there's a war going on. A war is never pleasant. We are called to be soldiers of the king. We have an enemy. His name is Satan. We have a task at hand, and that is to storm the gates of hell because we are going to take back the people Satan has enslaved to do his will. And if you think Satan is going to roll over and play dead for you, you've got another thing coming. But the promise is this in Revelation 12, 11, as we just read. And they, meaning the Christians, have defeated him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Now read it again, this time more personal. And you have defeated Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by your testimony. And you did not love your lives so much that you were afraid to die. There's a difference when you make it personal, isn't it? Satan is the big, bad bully on the block. His intention is to take you out, beat you up, and then demand your lunch money. But Revelation's message is that no matter how big and bad Satan may be, Jesus is bigger and Jesus is badder. And when you're with Jesus, you're on the winning team. No matter what comes to you in this earthly life, you will come away the winner in this contest because you have Jesus on your side. Amen and amen. I want to close with a story about a young man named Nathan Curry. It's an unusual name, and there's a reason for that. Nathan's mother was an immigrant from Liberia, which she fled because of the violence and death that threatened her life. She eventually moved into a rough neighborhood in Philadelphia. Nathan was 13 years old, five foot two, weighed about 100 pounds, soaking wet. His mother was unemployed. They talked funny. They looked different. And that made Nathan an easy target for the bullies in the area. 
In 2011, Naden was, in fact, attacked by seven other kids. He survived and would have likely faced a few more beatings, except that one of the bullies decided to post the attack on YouTube. The police saw it and got involved. The troublemakers landed in jail, and the story reached the newspapers. Then a staffer at the nationwide morning show The View read the account and invited Curry to appear on the show. Now, there's a video clip of that, which I've included the link in the description for you to take a look at. But let me describe it for you briefly. There was the cast, of course, of The View, and they had Naden and his mom and his stepdad were all sitting there. And they were talking about this. Barbara Walters was asking him some questions. And it was incredible to see because they showed the video clip of him getting beat up. But about that time, out from behind the curtain come three professional football players, all members of the Philadelphia Eagles. The first to come out was wide receiver Deshaun Jackson, and he was followed by two of his linemen. Now, they actually came and sat. There was just this moment where these guys had changed all of their schedules around because they had seen the video. They just wanted to be a part of this. And so they all came. And as the interview progressed, you could see this unity that was forming there. And what I loved most about this video was that Dijon Jackson and those linemen actually gave Naden their personal cell phone numbers for him to call any time that he needed. Folks, my point is this. You have someone bigger and more imposing than an NFL player on speed dial. And that's what chapter five and four, for that matter, is trying to tell y'all. You have the son of God and all of heaven watching over you. So when life gets tough, and it will, God tells you that he will never leave you and never forsake you. He tells you he will always be there for you. But unless you belong to God, that won't be true. So let me ask you today, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you invited him to sit on the throne of your heart? This is your time, beloved. This is your chance. The first day of the rest of your life. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.